Hey everybody, this is Brendan, and thanks for listening to The Collect's Call. Easter is coming to an end, and that means we are at the last of our remastered episodes from two years ago when we really didn't know what we were doing. Unfortunately, this week I am not giving you a remastered episode, because as you're going to hear shortly, apparently this particular show was plagued with audio problems. The original files are missing and... Anyway, I don't know what happened with this episode. I don't really remember. So we're we're broadcasting this for the sake of completeness more than anything else. But uh, we wish you a very happy end to the Easter season. Uh, We look forward to being back with you with new content very soon. Uh, Meantime, we hope you enjoy the show. Hey, this is Brendan, and thanks for listening to The Collect Call. Holly and I have been experimenting with some new ways of recording the podcast over the past few weeks, and an unfortunate side effect of that is that we screwed up a little bit this time. So you're going to hear a pretty dramatic shift in the audio quality around the 11.30 mark of this podcast. We're sorry about that, and we thank you for your patience. We'll do better next time. Meantime, enjoy the show. Do you know anything about the venerable bead? Um, I've been to his tomb. Welcome, everyone, to the Call It Call. This podcast is an offering, as always, of the Acts 8 moment, proclaiming resurrection in the Episcopal Church. My name is Holly Powell, and I am a member of Church of the Holy Trinity in Georgetown, Kentucky. And I'm Brendan O'Sullivan-Hale, and I am a member of the Episcopal Church of All Saints in Indianapolis, Indiana. This podcast is about the Collect of the Week, a short prayer that occurs near the beginning of services in Episcopal churches on Sundays. And these are short prayers that are pretty easy to overlook unless you're really paying close attention. So the purpose of this podcast is to spend a little bit of time meditating on these dense little bits of text and understanding what they might mean for us and for our lives. Now, collect is kind of a funny word. We don't have a lot of words like it in English, but it's spelled like collect, like you might collect state quarters or Harry Potter memorabilia from the Sky Mall catalog. <laughs> you got to love the Sky Mall catalog. I, do. I love, like, the resin zombies and the Bigfoot statues that you, can, uh, that you can nail to your tree. Oh, those are key. I also like the fake rocks that you can hide things in. Yeah, yeah, those are pretty good, too. Also, the, yeah. the rocks that are actually speakers. Oh, yeah, good stuff. I actually saw some of those this weekend. Maybe we should get out of Sky Mall and into uh, prayer time. Uh, This week we're going to be looking at the Collect for the seventh and final Sunday of Easter, which is both uh, celebratory and sad to say goodbye to this festive season. It's true, and it's especially maybe a little poignant for me since the Easter season is how we began this podcast, and it has been a really interesting spiritual experience for me to kind of walk through these prayers with you. Yeah, and I've really enjoyed it, and I'm so excited that we're going to be moving on past Easter and into the season of Pentecost. Me too, and we should probably say, although maybe this would be better in a wrap-up, but whatever, that at some point we might be willing to have a guest on this amazing podcast. So if you 
are interested in being a guest, you should hit us up on Twitter or on um, the Axe Moment blog and let us know that you're interested. Or send us a fax. <laughs> Faxes are fun. So why don't we uh, <laughs> why don't we read uh, the Collect Tally? Uh, will you uh, okay. get us started? I would love to. Uh, if you're following along at home, this is on page 226 of your Book of Common Prayer. O oh God, the King of Glory. You have exalted your only Son, Jesus Christ, with great triumph to your kingdom in heaven. Do not leave us comfortless, but send us your Holy Spirit to strengthen us, and exalt us to that place where our Savior Christ has gone before, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, in glory everlasting. Amen. Amen. If you think about where we are at this point in Easter season, We've been through the death and resurrection of Jesus, his post-resurrection appearances to his disciples, and uh, into his ascension into heaven. Yes. So we're being set up at this point for what's next. Exactly. We're heading into the super exciting ordinary time, which will last all the way from Pentecost to the first Sunday of Advent. So that is a very long time, and it is, in fact, the time in which we focus on the church. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's interesting, though, that this prayer includes the phrase, do not leave us comfortless. Mm -hmm. And I think it's probably helpful to pause on that point for just a moment, because this prayer is acknowledging our grief at letting go of a beloved friend uh, who, while still living, is no longer present with us the same way on earth. And I think it's interesting that uh, Jesus himself acknowledges this in the 16th chapter of John in a segment actually that never shows up in the lectionary, uh, though presumably it shows up in the daily office readings somewhere. He says to his disciples... If I can find it. Okay, this is uh, John chapter 16, uh, starting at verse 20. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So it is with you. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. (laughs) I think it's wonderful that Jesus there acknowledges how his disciples are going to feel, the difficulty that they're going to have in letting go, but the joy that they and we as the church have in continuing his work on earth. One of the things that I think is really interesting about about this word comfortless is that going into a little bit of the history of this, which we will be talking about, this prayer was written by Cranmer for the 1549 prayer book, and it was based on a song, and when he trans- or when he changed it into a prayer, he changed the phrasing from leave us not orphans to do not leave us comfortless which I just find interesting that it's he's changing that that really harsh term to something that's that's maybe a little bit easier to take yeah maybe so I, I wonder too if there's a change happening in this prayer around some of the imagery around Jesus 
Because mm-hmm. clearly if you're using the word uh, orphans, uh, there's the idea of, of Jesus as, as kind of a parent. And that kind of imagery around Jesus does exist elsewhere in at least English spiritual writing. I'm not sure about others, but Julian of Norwich, for instance, refers to Jesus Christ, our mother, which adds a whole other layer on top of it, uh, but has that parent image associated with it as well that perhaps Cranmer was not comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And certainly the term comfortless allows more flexibility for different kinds of definitions of the relationship with Jesus. Right. I, I, I tend to like the term comfortless. I, I like this prayer better than the original version, so good work, Kramer. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about this notion of exaltation? Uh, because this prayer says to send your Holy Spirit to strengthen us and exalt us to that place where our Savior Christ has gone before. Yeah, it's a weird concept, and because I'm me and the way I prepare for this is often to go back to the lectionary for the, for this day. This Sunday's lectionary is um, the Gospel reading, John 17, verses 1 through 11, in which Jesus continues to, he never uses the term exalt, at least not in the New Revised Standard Version, uh, which, as we all know, is the version that God actually wrote. He, he uses the term glorify glorify me and then glorify my followers. I like that better. <laughs> and I don't know exactly why, but but there's something to me about exalting that leaves me thinking of hierarchical power structures and moving up the, the ladder and I don't know, but glorify it makes me feel a little bit better about the whole thing. What about you? I find it difficult. Uh, I find both words uh, a bit difficult for exactly the same reasons that you described. Uh, the, these two words call to mind for me sort of the sordid history of Christian triumphalism. But as I was thinking about this a bit more, I'm interested in one of the dictionary definitions uh, that you came up with, this being on glorify. Uh, which I believe your good friend Merriam-Webster defines as to reveal glory by one's actions. And if you take that as a starting point and then go back to how Jesus actually behaves in the Gospels, Mm -hmm. I I think that's actually much more helpful. So just taking as a starting point Paul's letter to the Philippians, who, who notes about Jesus that he, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. And you see how Jesus acting as God was using his time on earth not to exercise temporal power, but to be with the poor, to be with the sick, to be with the outcasts, the marginalized, the sinners, to wash his disciples' feet, and in that way was revealing glory by his actions. And I think this also has a connection back to the concept of the responsibility that God gives to people way back in Genesis, where we Mm -hmm. are to have dominion over the earth and how it is that we exercise uh, the authority and responsibilities that God gives us. It is to be humble, and that is how we are glorified. Right. In some ways, you're contrasting the kingdom of God with the kingdom of man or of the earth. 
in which being exalted in a an earthly power structure often involves maybe unsavory things, but being exalted or, or being raised to a higher position of authority in the kingdom of God is all about lessening oneself and serving others. The other thing, though, is it's worth remembering that there are people for whom the message of exaltation is profoundly significant. Uh, those who have been marginalized. Uh, think about the, the Magnificat for he has put down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. Uh, mm-hmm. Think about the parables and instructions of Jesus as taking the least honored person in at the banquet and seating him at the head table. I, I do think that in the question of conducting oneself in such a way that reveals God's glory, there is a responsibility on those who already have some kind of privilege uh, to give that privilege away. And we see Jesus doing that with his own privilege. Yeah, that's a really good point. Going back uh, just a bit more to the history of this prayer, as you noted, uh, it was adapted by Thomas Cranmer from a pre-existing prayer that it was, at least according to legend, on the lips of the Venerable Bede when he died. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to talk for a moment about the death of the Venerable Bede, because this dude got around after he died. (laughs) So for those of you who don't remember, the Venerable Bede was an 8th century Christian monk and scholar. So you may have heard his name at some point in history class because he wrote the first known ecclesiastical history of England. And so it is one of really the first major historians of note uh, in Western Europe. So uh, he's very influential for that reason. He also wrote many other spiritual texts. Now, he died on the feast day of St. Augustine of Canterbury, and he was buried in a town called Jerome, which is up near Newcastle in northern England, near the Scottish border. But he didn't stay uh, at Jerome for very long. Uh, So he was moved uh, from... Hang on. So he died in 735... And so he hung out in Jero for uh, not quite 300 years. And then in 1020, he was moved to Durham Cathedral, which uh, I have to recommend if you have not been to Durham Cathedral, it is one of the most spectacular uh, church buildings and perhaps buildings of any kind in the world. Uh, but he was moved to Durham, Durham Cathedral in 1020, where he was placed in the same tomb, tomb as St. Cuthbert of Lindisfarne. Uh, sure. But then, and who doesn't love St. Cuthbert of Lindisfarne? Who? But he was moved to Galilee Chapel uh, 350 years later into his own tomb. But then during the Reformation, that tomb was destroyed, uh, and so his bones were reburied in the chapel after the destruction of that shrine. And then they were dug up again in 1831 and reburied in a new tomb. That is a lot of reburying. Yeah. Yeah, and beyond that, he is alleged to have relics in York, Glastonbury, and Fulda. Oh, the venerable bead. Yeah. Is he the first archdeacon? Is he? I don't know. Aren't archdeacons venerable? I I, I think so, yes. 
I don't know. I'm just curious. Somebody who's listening to this podcast, tell us more about the Venerable Bede. Yep, let us know on Twitter at uh, the Collect Call. So, anything else about this prayer before we move on to our Twitter challenge? I am ready for your Venerable Tweet, Holly. (laughs) All right, let's do it. This tweet comes in at 122 characters, and... I'm calling that out for you guys, um, mostly because I always check it myself, and I don't want any accusations of, of impropriety with my Twitter challenge. So, anyway, here it goes. God, give us the strength and comfort of your Holy Spirit as we move into a time of focus on our, quote, ordinary, unquote, life. Hashtag Easter 7. Very nice. Way to tee us up for next week, too. <laughs> I do what I can. So uh, mine is, grant that in your absence I may not feel alone, but be filled with your love. Hashtag Easter 7, hashtag Acts 8. Love it. Love it. So we're going to be talking a lot more about the Holy Spirit next week during our podcast for Pentecost. Yay, tongues of fire. But in the meantime, I have to give a shout out to one of the biggest Pentecost fans that I know, the Reverend uh, Suzanne Willie, who is rector of uh, the Episcopal Church of All Saints in Indianapolis. But she gave us a plug on Facebook, and I did not even ask her to. Uh, so thank you, Mother Suzanne. Well, if we're giving shout outs to our own rectors, then I should say say that my rector, the Reverend Elise Johnstone, mentioned the collect call during the announcements at church on Sunday. So thank you, Elise, for doing that. Wow, we got one sermon and one announcements call out. That's great. I know. We are getting so famous. Yeah. Well, if you want to partake in our fame, uh, reach out to us on Twitter at The Collect Call or send us an email at The Collect Call at Act8Moment.org. And you can find um, our parent organization, the Act 8 Moment, on the web at Act 8, that's the number 8, Moment.org. Facebook, uh, Facebook.com backslash Act 8 Moment or on Twitter at Act 8 Moment. Our music is Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence by Aaron DeVries, distributed under Creative Commons license. Find more of Aaron's music at badgerland.bandcamp.com. And for the very last time this year, we would like to say thanks again and Happy Easter. Happy Easter. We'll see you next week for Pentecost. For with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descended, our full homage to 